Welcome to The V-Hive, a platform focused on women's intimate health. With weekly episodes from the field's top practitioners, we discuss all of the things you've always thought about but never wanted to talk about. On this podcast, we are making the highest quality information on the most beloved part of your body accessible, understandable, and implementable. I'm your host, Hannah Matluck, and I started this platform as a result of my own experience with chronic pelvic pain. Throughout the years I spent healing my body, I became overwhelmingly interested and passionate about these topics and have made it my mission to create awareness and education on the complexities of the female body. The VHive now has a Patreon. For those of you who are not familiar with Patreon, it's a subscription-style platform for people to support content creators. Those who subscribe to the VHive's Patreon will receive access to additional content and benefits such as monthly eBooks, bonus episodes, exclusive events, and much more. Supporting the VHive through Patreon will allow this podcast to continue to grow. With your help, we will be able to produce more and more valuable and exciting content. At the moment, this is the VHive's main source of funding. Any level you can subscribe to would be so greatly appreciated. You can access the VHive's Patreon by going to www.patreon.com backslash the VHive. Today I am here with Ronit Sukanik, who is a pelvic floor physical therapist based in both New York City and Westchester, New York. Her physical therapy career began at New York Presbyterian Hospital and her interest in this field started after she herself experienced a pain, disability and helplessness of pelvic girdle pain and subsequent pelvic floor dysfunction during and after both of her pregnancies, which we are going to discuss a lot in this episode and which is really why you know she she got into this field and we connected and why she's so passionate about this this area of work but help for her was hard to find few physical therapists had the training to recognize and treat pelvic floor dysfunction especially the issues that she was having at the time and in 2012 after the birth of her second child and with the newfound passion and focus on this underserved specialty, Ronit established the Pelvic Floor Rehabilitation Program at New York Presbyterian Hospital, which is part of Columbia University. She opened a private practice in 2016, which is called RS Physical Therapy in Irvington, New York, where she treats male and female patients with various pelvic floor and lumbopelvic dysfunction. She has since left New York Presbyterian Hospital this past April to build her own practice. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I'm excited to hear more about your story and everything that you've kind of done throughout your career in this field. So first, tell us really more about what your your experience was like when you suffered from these postpartum pelvic floor issues and yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my... You know, my story started about 12 years ago. Um, I was, at the time, working at New York Presbyterian Hospital, Columbia. I was a relatively new physical therapist, and I was rotating through the different um, specialty areas in the hospital, and I was particularly interested in 
neurological rehabilitation at the time. I was really into stroke rehab and traumatic brain injury rehab, and I was at the, also working at the ALS clinic at Columbia. So that was where my passion was and where I thought my career was going to continue from. And then I became pregnant, and I was pretty much the worst pregnant person in the world. I threw up the entire time. I was pretty depressed and miserable. And then at 32 weeks pregnant, I started getting this really sharp pain in the front of my pelvis that would happen randomly or sometimes every time I took a step. And I called my OBGYN and said, you know, I'm getting this pain. I don't know what this is. And as a new person who's never, a newly pregnant person who's never given birth, maybe this is labor. So she told me to go over to the ER, to the labor and delivery ER. And I went there and they um, did all their testing and said, everything looks great. And I said, well, I'm still having this pain in the front of my pelvis. And the resident there said, okay, well, lift up one leg. And I pretty much, in excruciating pain, tried to lift up my one leg. And she said, oh, it looks like you separated your pubic synthesis. And then handed me a prescription for Percocet and sent me on my way. Can and you take Percocet when you're pregnant? So you, I mean, technically you can take whatever you want when you're pregnant, but <laughs> there's always side effects. I did not take the Percocet because uh -huh. I was pregnant and kind of was like, mm, I'm not going to take this stuff. Um, but I went to my OB the next day. You know, I knew what a pubic synthesis was. I knew it was not supposed to be separated, but I had never heard of this before. I didn't know this was a thing. And when I went to my OB and asked her a bunch of questions, it was pretty clear to me that she didn't have a lot of answers for me. So the questions, you know, like, what is this? Is this gonna go away? Is this gonna get worse? Is this gonna come back and get better at all in the end after I'm pregnant? Am I gonna have this again in the next pregnancy? Her answers were very wishy-washy and kind of the, oh, we don't know answers over and over again. And I realized that she didn't know much of what she was gonna, how she was gonna help me. And she had no recommendations of how she was gonna help me. I went to, you know, my director at the time of physical therapy at Columbia to basically tell her that I needed some kind of work accommodations because I couldn't continue lifting patients and such like that as I had been, or at least, you know, really even walking around on the floors was extremely painful. So, uh, and she is someone who had a good 90 something physical therapist underneath her. And her response was basically like, wow, yeah, I, we had a therapist once who had that and she ended up having surgery which clearly is not what I wanted to hear. And, and she had nobody to recommend that I go see, or no one on her staff, at, at least, that I should go see. Um, and you know, as I spoke to different people throughout the rest of my pregnancy, you know, I, I gave birth at 38 weeks pregnant, so I had another six weeks of this. And as I spoke to different people, whether it was a childbirth educator or friends or anyone that I could pretty much grab and ask, like, what is going on here? You know, most people's response were, wow, I've never heard of that, or, oh, maybe in the distant, some friend of a friend had had this, oh, you know, and that was the information that I was getting. No one at the time recommended I go to physical therapy, and me, myself, as a physical therapist, didn't even for a minute think I should go to physical therapy, because I had never treated a pregnant person in my life, and I'd never heard of this before, and if someone had come to me, I would have been lost, and I just didn't really recognize that there were people that were doing this. And at the time, you know, this was 12 years ago, and even though it doesn't sound very long, it hasn't been a very long time, there, there has been a big change in the last 12 years in terms of this field. So there really like wasn't even anybody. the past, like, one, two, three years, there's been yeah, a huge change. I think so. I mean, I remember looking at the time when I was pregnant and Googling, you know, pubic symphysis 
separation, pubic symphysis dysfunction, anything I could think of to try and get what I was having. And I found a couple case reports of a couple people, you know, but nothing. There was really not a lot of information on there. So anyway, I had my children, my child. Can you explain what pubic symphysis is? So if you think of a, if you look at a pelvis, um, your mm-hmm. pelvis is basically a ring of bones, and there are multiple joints in that. There's one, there's two joints in the back that are your sacroiliac joints, your SI joints, where they connect from your sacrum to your ilium, which is a portion of your pelvis, and then wrapped around the front is where your pubic bones, two of them meet, and they meet at a joint called your pubic symphysis, and that joint is has a little fibrocartilage disc in the middle of it, and it has a bunch of um, ligaments on top and bottom that hold it together. And that joint is supposed to you know, m- open up a certain amount in pregnancy and certainly in childbirth, but it's only supposed to open a certain amount, and it's not supposed to open more than about, I think they say around 10 millimeters by the time you are giving birth. And it also shouldn't be very unstable, which is, you know, so it's a, it, there's, there's different reasons why you might be getting pain in that area. It could be that it's just it's separated a great amount too far, or that it's just a very unstable joint. And that joint really shouldn't be unstable. It should be pretty stable. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so then I gave birth to my son, and I then was really incapacitated. So at that point, before birth, I was waddling around. I could barely walk. I, was, I had excruciating pain with really simple things like rolling in bed or lifting one leg to put on pants or shoes or socks. Um, and afterwards I gave birth and I was terrified during the birth of just ripping my pelvis in two and had nobody around me that could help me, you know, understand what my fear was and how to make, you know, make sure that I didn't do that. No Mm -hmm. one knew positioning. How should I do this? Should I do an epidural? Should I not do an epidural? Should I do a C-section? Should I not? That there was no information and nobody could tell me what to do. It's so scary. And so it was really just me going forward in it without knowing what was going to happen and afterwards it would take it took me I mean I remember one time in particular I tried to get out of bed the next day and I took a full 30 minutes to get myself out of bed to be able to stand up and it just was the slowest like rolling on my side trying to sit up on the edge of the bed and then getting from that sitting to standing position I think it took me a good like 20 to 30 minutes and I was standing there in the room of my um recovery room in the postpartum ward standing there like just so impressed with myself that I stood up and in comes this nurse's aide and she says to me I need to take your blood pressure and I was like okay here and I gave her my arm and she's like no you need to lie down for me to take it I said no way absolutely not it took me so long to get here I was almost in tears like you cannot make me lie back down again and she looked at me and she's like are you refusing a blood pressure measurement and I was like oh Absolutely I am. I am 100% remo- refusing that. And then I, she left and I went to the bathroom. And um, you know, there, was, there was nobody, you know, they didn't understand what I was going through. And, and nobody in the ward understood what I was going through. Nobody, none of the nurses understood what I was going through. They looked at me strangely like, why is, why is she not moving normally? Why isn't she getting up normally? You know, why, what's her issue? Um, even getting out of there, like discharging, you know, they put you in a wheelchair to discharge you, but sitting was excruciating. So they were like, we, we discharge everyone in a wheelchair. I was like, well, I cannot get into that wheelchair. And so I walked myself down, you know, against their whatever medical advice or whatever. But so it was a lot of that. My, after that, I had to go, um, I, I don't know who suggested it, and I wish I remember who this person was, who recommended that I go to this physical therapist at Cornell, who was a pelvic floor physical therapist. Mm-hmm. And it, 
I remember telling my OBGYN at my six-week visit, please write me a prescription for physical therapy. And she, you know, I had to like spell it out for her. Pelvic floor, physical therapy, write it on the prescription, give me the prescription. I will figure out the appointment because she really didn't know what I was talking about. And I went to physical therapy with her and I spent many months there and, you know, and we worked on a bunch of different things to try and get me back. And it took a full year of a recovery. I remember when my son turned one that I could finally you know, say, okay, I really don't have any more pain. Mm -hmm. And I felt recovered. Um, and then f about three and a half years later, I got pregnant with my second child. And in that time, the pregnancy was worse, or not worse necessarily, but different. Um, and it all began a lot earlier. So around 16 weeks of pregnancy, I started having a, very, a lot of pain. And in those like four the same years, pain you so had. similar. I had like the t front pain, the pubic symphysis pain in the front, but it also um, wrapped around the back and was in my SI joints as mm -hmm. well. So it, the, it felt like my entire pelvis was just very unstable. Mm -hmm. um, and I was having a very hard time walking again and rolling and moving and doing the things. And at the time I had a three-year-old too. So it was looking after a three-year-old and being pregnant, which only made it uh, harder. Um, and I really tried hard not to do too much to hurt myself because I couldn't be in pain and be a mother to a three-year-old. Um, but the difference in that regard too was that at the time I did go to physical therapy around 16 weeks pregnant mm -hmm. as soon as it started thinking, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this. I'm going to make this, you know, I'm going to be a really good patient. I'm going to go and now I know right. who to go to. And I went back to Cornell to a different physical therapist who was there at the time than the one that I had initially. Um, and, you know, and unfortunately that just didn't really work out that well. She wasn't particularly good. She didn't really know what she was doing. We were doing things that now in retrospect, I look back and like, oh, that probably wasn't necessarily a good thing mm -hmm. to be doing. And it certainly wasn't the progression that I needed. Um, but I, so basically during that pregnancy, I was very incapacitated for the pretty much from, from 16 weeks onwards. Um, and I, d again, didn't get a lot of help. I again had a lot of, to. I, talk to people around me trying to explain what was going on and why I was waddling around like this or barely moving or barely walking. Um, and I also, um, you know, I remember walking into the delivery room for my second child and saying to the nurse who took me in, like, just so you know, I have this pubic symphysis issue and it's really painful and I'm really, you know, nervous and I'm trying to just give her a heads up. I brought in my brain, like my pelvic brace with me, you know, to like have, you know, afterwards as well. And I remember sitting in that triage room and hearing on the outside the nurse saying to somebody else, what, what did she say? She has a pubic symphysis something? Like, what is that? And I'm like, oh my God. Oh, you know, like the, just again, that terrifying, like, do they know what they're doing? I'm so scared. Like, how are they gonna, you know, help me here? And right at that time, I just started starting looking through the pelvic floor courses and taking the pelvic floor courses at that point. This was about eight years ago. Um, and so I was starting to get a little bit more of an awareness of, you know, I knew that this was the field I wanted to go into more, that this was the type of physical therapist that would be able to help me if I, you know, when I needed it or, or not really when I needed it, but postpartum afterwards, I knew I needed it. I needed it already, just like trying to find someone to help me. So anyway, had that baby and then that process of getting better from that took a much longer time. It was mm -hmm. like a, a good five years of recovery. So it was, you know, and it wasn't like I was, you know, as bad 
as I was the first day postpartum as I was day five, but it took, oh, I mean, year five, mm -hmm. but it took me a very long time to kind of piece together my own rehabilitation to make it work. And that was partly because finding the help was super difficult. Finding good people to help me was hard. And then at the same time that I was recovering, I was also taking these pelvic floor courses kind of at the same time. So I would go to all the courses and each course was basically um, a little bit more information for me of how to get better you know so we would do courses and when we do these courses we practice on each other you know mm -hmm. we do internal exams on each other so each internal exam was like a what do you feel um what can you find that spasmy muscle like where is it what is it how do what are, you know each per each time i'd go and i would talk to the instructors and you know kind of get some words of wisdom from them and literally every course was like a little bit of like assistance in getting better and learning That's about so my own body and uh -huh. learning about what i needed to do to get better um so, you know, um, and so that's pretty much my story. It obviously completely changed what I do. <laughs> I'm no longer in interested much in neurological rehabilitation. I'm not working in the hospital anymore. I'm seeing patients only with pelvic floor dysfunction at this point, pretty much, and mm -hmm. a large postpartum population, which is uh, I really enjoy working with. And, you know, and I think, you know, when people come in and they tell me, you know, why why is no one talking about this? Right. Why, why aren't we talking about this? Why does no one know about this? Who am I supposed to see? You know, I've developed a network of physicians and other professionals to help people, you know, who come in with different issues that span from these injuries and, um, you know, hopefully can point people in the right direction and make them feel not so alone as they're going through this. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between pelvic floor dysfunction and pelvic girdle pain. Okay, so um, so pelvic girdle pain is any pain that spans from the pubic symphysis or the sacroiliac joints or anywhere in your, in your pelvic bowl that's, mm -hmm. you know, the, if you think of like the ligaments and the bones that are make up your pelvis. Mm -hmm. And pelvic floor dysfunction is anything that is related to those pelvic floor muscles that fill up that bowl. And they, because they're obviously so closely related, they often come together. I mean, if you have pelvic girdle pain, you most likely, and I think there was some data that like 70% of people with pelvic girdle pain also have urinary incontinence, mm -hmm. right? So there's a lot of the times if you have this very unstable and painful pelvis, your pelvic floor is gonna react in some way, most likely tightening up, or you could have a lot of weakness in your pelvic floor muscles, which is gonna lead to more of that instability in your pelvic girdle. But you can have pelvic floor dysfunction without having pubic symphysis or SI joint pain. Right. And you can have SI joint pain and pubic symphysis dysfunction without having pelvic floor dysfunction, although that's probably less common. Mm -hmm. You most likely have some pelvic floor dysfunction if you're having some kind of pelvic girdle pain. But pelvic girdle pain is typically a pregnancy-related I was about thing. to ask yeah. that. Yeah. So it's, I, I think the official name and these names have changed over the last... 12 years because mm -hmm. from pubic symphysis dysfunction to pelvic to pregnancy related pelvic girdle pain I think is now the official umbrella term for all of these different pubic symphysis issues mm -hmm. and in pelvic floor physical therapy when a woman's going for pelvic girdle pain is it treated the same way as pelvic floor pain pelvic floor dysfunction or is it treated differently <clears throat> so it depends pretty much on I mean there's no normal because yeah. there is no guidelines of treatment for this issue so i would say that 
you know, when people come in for pelvic floor dysfunction, and if it's very specifically pelvic floor dysfunction, um, I don't think any physical therapist should be looking at the pelvic floor as an entity onto itself. It's not like everyone's just a walking pelvic floor, right? You have your hip and you have your back and you have your shoulders even that are all in some way affecting your pelvic floor mm -hmm. and that you should be seen as a whole. But for pelvic girdle pain, that's even more important because you usually have pelvic girdle pain is also you're going to probably have some shoulder discomfort or back pain or hip pain and there's just more components that may be affected than if you just have something like just urinary incontinence. Mm -hmm. um, so in, in, in that way it is treated differently and you might it, a session might look very different whereas maybe something with incontinence is m or pelvic pain specific to your pelvic floor may be a lot more internal work whereas pelvic girdle pain may have a com component of both mm -hmm. internal and external work and kind of going back and forth between the two. In the field of pelvic floor physical therapy is pelvic girdle pain like a another specialty within pelvic floor PT that that practitioners have like more training in or more expertise right. and experience in treating or is it kind of like any pelvic floor PT can treat right. anyone with pelvic girdle pain and obviously you know some pelvic floor PTs are much better and more experienced mm -hmm. than others but generally right, so should speaking, you be able to expect a pelvic floor physical yeah. therapist to be able to treat pelvic girdle pain and i yeah. would love to be able to say yes yeah. Uh, yeah because that is what i also believed when i started going to see a pelvic floor right. physical therapist but unfortunately it's i think the answer the is no yeah. it is um you know if you look at the tr continuing education for pelvic floor physical therapy it begins with um, a series of basic pelvic floor courses one two two a three like that's how they do it and it's you know, incontinence, bowel issues, pain issues. And you, in order to go through that series, you don't even really have to take any of the postpartum courses or even the, or, or the, or the peripartum courses mm -hmm. um, to be considered, you know, able to be treating patients with pelvic floor. I mean, the truth with pelvic floor is that you can take one course and call yourself a pelvic floor physical therapist, and there are people doing that, mm -hmm. you know, so obviously to be wary. That's so crazy. But it's 100% happening. So people will take pelvic floor one and then be treating patients with pelvic floor issues that maybe are not within their comfort zone. And I think, you know, like with everything, if you're good at something, one of the th things that make you good at something is knowing when you don't know something. Mm -hmm. So if you can, you see a patient come in who has something that you've never seen before, or you've seen only a couple of, or you just know that you don't have the education for, being able to say, you know what, this is not my thing, let me help you find someone who knows it. Or maybe mm -hmm. if you can't find someone who knows it in your locale, maybe you have someone, you know, you can contact and email with and try to like stir you in the right direction to help people the best you can. I think the worst thing to do as a therapist or to any healthcare professional is to s suggest that you know something you don't know and right. that person really trusts you to be helping them and you may be what they stop at, mm -hmm. right? I think you may go see someone, and this happened to me on multiple occasions where I, I went to go see a pelvic floor physical therapy and therapist in Westchester thinking, gold, yes, here's someone close by to me. I have another newborn child. Like, I, I don't have the time to be going into the city for this. I am going to see this therapist. I'm so excited. And I went to see her, and I was really disappointed. And mm -hmm. I was really disappointed that she was doing things <clears throat> that were not helpful to me 
And in, in the condition that I was in, when she saw me, I was in such bad physical shape and in so much discomfort that literally just doing the most basic stretches would have helped me. Right. The most basic, you know, hamstring stretch. I would have been so happy. But she was doing things that just were not what I needed. Um, and it was really, unfortunately, really disappointing. And it took me time after that to get the courage and the and get the information of who to go see next. You know, that all takes time, especially when you're a new mom. Yeah. Um, to go and try somebody else and put my faith into somebody else. So, you know, I'm, I think that one of the things with this and with pretty much any condition ever, I think with any of us, for any problem that you might have, if you know, you're not getting the answers you want or the results you want with one person, you have to go see, you have to search for the next, yeah. you know, until you get what you want. Um, and yeah, so I would say no. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. And I, I agree. And something that I've also heard from so many women is that they have pelvic floor pain of some form and then they go to pelvic floor physical therapy, they give it a few months and it doesn't help them. And so as, as you just said, I always suggest to them that they try and find someone else and get another opinion and see if another PT can help them. But in your opinion, what's the maximum kind of like time frame that someone should stay at one PT for if they're not seeing results? Like when should they move to another PT? Right. So, or um, how do you know when, yeah, you know, it's when a very, to move very on? hard thing to know. You know, it's very difficult to know that unfortunately. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that, first of all, if they're doing something that doesn't make sense to you, that's a nice big red flag. If they can't yeah. explain to you why they're doing what they're doing, how this is going to help you, you know, that's, to me, something that you need to question. Totally. Because um, you need to buy into what they're doing, too. You need to believe it, right, mm -hmm. in order to, for it to really, for you to be um, motivated to do your exercises and for you to really do what they tell you to do. Um, but I always tell my patients that within you know four to six weeks of being seeing me regularly, doing the exercise and what you're supposed to be doing, you should be seeing some improvement. Does that mean that you're going to be perfect? You know, 100%. No, you know, especially for certain things uh, like what I went through, which took a long time. You know, there's things that are going to take a while, but you should see improvement. If you're not seeing improvement, or if it's getting worse, then you know I think it's worth trying to see what else is out there. Mm -hmm. And. What other pregnancy or childbirth-related injuries do you treat and are related to one another? Like, if, okay. if a woman has pelvic girdle pain, what are some other symptoms or, or issues that they might have? Okay, so it's kind of like two questions. So the first, pelvic girdle pain can, again, encompass a variety of different types of pain and it's for many people with pelvic girdle pain it's very difficult to localize exactly where that pain is coming from so initially they might tell you they have groin pain or they have inner thigh pain or they have lower back pain or lower abdominal pain but then when you really start to palpate around the area and feel around the area you might find that when you press on that pubic symphysis they pretty much jump off the table in pain um, so the, their pain might be diffuse and it might be localized in, in various different areas it may not be the area that it started at and it can also move around a little bit. So one day maybe the SI joint is more of the issue, another day the pubic symphysis joint is a little bit more of an issue and so on. Um, they, again, probably have pelvic floor dysfunction of some kind. So mm -hmm. urinary incontinence goes along with it a lot. 
bowel issues, um, pain with sex is, is a big thing as well. Um, they might have other things that are going on like you know, a pelvic organ prolapse from the pregnancy too that is probably not necessarily related to the pelvic girdle pain. Um, they may, so they may have any of those types of issues along with the pelvic girdle pain. Um, and they're recovering from usually a childbirth or pregnancy in, in itself. So all of the things that happen to your body during that time and just the general recovery and rehabilitation are also happening. And in terms of other childbirth or pregnancy related injuries, um, you know, patients can come in with tailbone pain, with a coccyx or a tailbone that has been subluxed or um, so a little dislocated or fractured. There's people that come in with pubic fractures um, from childbirth, usually from the actual birth, but sometimes from the pregnancy. Maybe they have an, um, a pregnancy or, or breastfeeding-related osteoporosis, and they might get some fractures in different areas. Um, they may have um, scars in their perineum from childbirth that are not healing well or that are continuing to be painful despite healing or painful scars around their C-section or areas of their C-section that, again, maybe didn't heal so well and are now causing pain. They may have a diastasis recti. Um, they may have labral tears of their hips, either due to the positioning during childbirth or potentially that were there already but then got exacerbated by pregnancy or childbirth. And a lot of these things may also result in nerve injuries of some kind. So the actual birth and the birthing of the baby through the birth canal may result in their own types of nerve injuries as the baby passes through the pelvis because there's a lot of nerves that pass through the pelvis too. So maybe they'll have some either nerve injuries, some weakness or pain from different nerves that pass through there, or maybe because of either the pelvic girdle pain or a coccyx fracture or some other kind of injury, the muscles that are inside and outside of the pelvis get very aggravated, tight, inflamed, and spasm and may cause some irritation to the nerves that pass through them, resulting in different kind of nerve pain, either pudendal nerve pain or sciatic nerve pain, femoral nerve pain, obturated nerve pain, lots of different areas, different types of nerves that might get aggravated from an injury. Mm -hmm. So if someone has a bunch of these overlapping diagnoses yep. and they go to pelvic floor physical therapy and they're seeing an experienced pelvic floor physical therapist who treats you know, women postpartum, prenatal, will PT kind of simultaneously help with all of these issues? So sometimes, right? So that's the goal, right? Is that yeah. you're, you're putting the person, you're helping the person with all these different issues, but usually you need a bit of a team to help mm -hmm. you through this, um, depending on what they come in for. So if they come in for, and, and you can have each of these things, right? You can have pelvic girdle pain and a perineal tear that's not healing. And you can have pelvic girdle pain and a coccyx fracture, right? You could have a lot of these different things all together. Um, and you need to know who to send the person to for various things to get more information. So a lot of my patients come in either because their OBGYN, they go to their OBGYN at their six or eight week visit or maybe three months and they say, I'm just not feeling good, I'm not recovering well. Um, and they'll say, okay, here, go to a physical therapist. You know, maybe haven't even evaluated necessarily the pelvic girdle or the hips because that's not them. That's not, you know, that's not an OBGYN and it's nothing against an OBGYN. That's just not what they're trained to do. And they'll send you maybe to physical therapy. And if I get that patient, 
maybe I look at them and go, man, you know, I'm just, there's something going on with your hip I'm not so thrilled about, I'm not really sure about, and I want to make sure there's nothing else going on. Mm -hmm. So then I have a physiatrist that I refer a lot of patients to who is, who has a big postpartum population who's mm -hmm. interested in the postpartum world. So I can send her to her and she'll help tease out what's going on a little bit more. Or maybe there's a perineal tear that I don't like the look of, or that's just like, why is it still painful? You know, um, let's send you to a really good urogynecologist that I, you know, that I refer people to right. who can kind of take more of a look at that. Or maybe I'm, you know, looking at um, a nerve injury that's bothering the person in a way that I know is much more nervy than it is anything else. Then there's the pelvic pain specialist that I know you've talked mm -hmm. a lot with Dr. Ahmed and that group as well. Um, you know, so there's there's definitely different people that you can send people to and, and clear, and certainly for a lot of these people, and because this is postpartum and this is childbirth, there's a huge expectation on everyone who's had a baby to have this amazing rite of passage, right? Yeah. You have this baby, you brought a new person into the world, you're gonna have this beautiful bonding experience and you're gonna be this, you know, enjoy your, your maternity leave and it's gonna be so beautiful. And now you're in this position where you're, you feel like you are broken, which is mm -hmm. why a lot of patients talk about this feeling of like being broken and this is not the expectation they had. And this is, they're supposed to be looking after a baby but they're trying to still put themselves together. So for a lot of those people, not because this is a psychological issue, but because it becomes psychological when you're dealing with a mismatch of your expectations to what's actually happened to you, that a good psychologist or psychiatrist can so be important. extremely yeah. important to kind of help you through this, this whole episode that has happened. Totally. And that also kind of segues perfectly into the next question that I wanted to ask you, which is, what are some of the challenges with treating moms who have these injuries? it must be very hard. Yeah, so there's, it's, you know, it's another layer of life that you have to kind of get through. These people have just had a baby. They've had a very, for some, a very traumatic birth or traumatic pregnancy, um, either because of these injuries or sometimes because of something else that happened to them during the birthing process. So, you know, giving people a space to even talk about it is, is really important because, you know, no one's talking about it with them or people don't want to hear the negative part of their experience necessarily because people don't know what to say and it's not what they're expecting you to say you know they're expecting you to look like a magazine mm -hmm. cover with this beautiful baby and this flat stomach and you know you your boobs shouldn't be leaking and you shouldn't <laughs> be so disheveled you know they want you to look yeah. like that so it's 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 jarring to seeing someone who's suffering through through this period of time which has been so you know made to look like it shouldn't be that way and people aren't really talking about the women that are suffering are no, they're very ashamed silent, but they're of very it. ashamed so of it. Yeah, so there's that. There's no the one shame. knows that that's yep. this is actually yeah, probably more to common be able than to pull through this, right? You're supposed to be a strong woman, get through this. You're not supposed to be in pain. You're going to be like you know back to boot camps and CrossFit, and you know your baby's going to be in a sling next to you, and you're going to be breastfeeding 24 hours a day as if you know without noticing, and you're supposed to live without you know no sleep, and you're supposed to still look beautiful, and you're supposed to have dinner on the table. I mean, there's so many expectations mm -hmm. that women have on themselves, and that they put on themselves, and that the media puts on them, and then to be not look like that or feel that way can be really, um, un, you know big disconnect and yeah. ad additionally like there's so many hormones floating around your body right so you're like you know postpartum you can really be a hormonal disaster and those hormones are affecting your recovery not having estrogen having estrogen in your body can be really difficult for your pelvic floor to 
get stronger with and your body in general to get stronger with because estrogen really plumps up your muscles. So not having that makes you in itself feel weaker. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have things like, you know, how much maternity leave do you have? Do you have enough to be able to look after yourself? And or do you have six weeks? And when in God's name, if you have six weeks and you're going back to work and you have a newborn baby, when are you going to get the treatment that you need? Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, do you have childcare? I see a lot of patients and they bring in their babies and I've become very good at holding a baby and doing pelvic floor <laughs> physical therapy at the same time because you know some babies are not the easiest ones to bring in yeah. my first child I would never have dreamt about bringing him into a therapy session with me he was just a big cry mess like there was no yeah. point the second one he would smile at everybody I would have oh, brought him anywhere right yeah. so it depends on your baby you know and, and do you have a colicky baby who's just not gonna put up with it do you have a baby that you can travel with you know so there's there's all of these different things that, you know, go along with um, being a new mom and even just sleep deprivation and finding time to look after yourself. Those are all things that you probably weren't expecting to have to deal with, you know, coming into this time of your life. And it wasn't something that you expected or planned for. Is there anything that women can do when they're pregnant or before they get pregnant as a preventative measure to avoid or try and avoid certain birth injuries, pelvic floor issues, and traumas um, after, during or after the birth process? Um, so this, you know, it's a hard question because there's a, a fine line between trying to prevent something and then when it happens to you, blaming yourself for it, right? So, um, you know, could I look back and think about all the things that may or may not have contributed to what happened to me. Probably, you know, I, I probably had pelvic floor dysfunction my whole life. I mean, I now I look back and I'm like, oh, yeah, I totally did. Like, mm -hmm. I had episodes of painful sex. I had constipation. I, you know, had all kinds of issues that I'm sure my pelvic floor was never in good shape. Um, so could I have gotten my pelvic floor in good shape? I guess, yeah, I guess mm -hmm. probably. But, you know, um, I don't... I don't think that kind of going back on it and trying to think about all the ways that I could have prevented it are, are going to be very helpful. Right. You know, and for people that have experienced anything, trying to think about the ways that they could have prevented it is only going to lead to a lot of feeling of blame. Mm -hmm. So my biggest advice is just that, you know, if you feel something in your body while you're pregnant or after you're pregnant, postpartum, you know, that you don't ignore it. Because for many of us you might bring it up to your OBJYN and they'll say oh that's normal that's normal that you have that that's normal that you are constipated during pregnancy that's totally normal you know it's normal that you have some pain with sex that's normal but you know there's it's it's pretty much just not necessarily normal right? yeah. there's things that you can do about those things and that can help you um and you know so not ignoring symptoms not ignoring pain you know looking for help as best you can and again these are hard things to say because if you're you know like I was a 32 weeks pregnant and suddenly I'm getting pain and I'm not getting the answers I want for my OBGYN what am I gonna do I can't switch an OBGYN at seven months pregnant right? that's yeah. not gonna happen yeah so um, you know so it, it's it's very hard I think to prevent these things seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist if you have any inkling that there's something going on that you're not sure about I would go see somebody and just even if it's just for an evaluation or just for a peace of mind right and just and if I could have found someone to help me you know and now I think it's a lot easier than it was then mm -hmm. then I think that would have been the right move yeah you know? and I also want to ask how your personal experience impacts the way that you work with your patients treat your patients um, because I know that a lot of pelvic floor physical therapists 
don't have personal experience with pelvic pain, which doesn't make them a worse practitioner, sure. but I'm always curious to hear how practitioners with their own experience, mm -hmm. you know, how it shapes, shapes the way that they, they treat their patients. Sure. So, um, you know, I, I once had someone tell me that pain is like depression. Mm -hmm. Unless you've experienced it, you just don't understand totally. it. Totally. And it's silent, right? It's, 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 it's invisible. You can't see it, right? So, um, and I really think that is very true. Like, if you've not had chronic pain, it's very difficult to understand what chronic pain can do to you. And having experienced chronic pain um, from this experience and going through this whole process with myself and still going through it because I'm still not 100% pain free. Right. Um, you know, I think it has changed me in many different ways and not only as a practitioner, but as a mother and as a, you know, as a friend um, and just in terms of my level of empathy for people that are struggling with different things is certainly very different than it would have been beforehand. Um, and, you know, it, it, I think it gives patients hope if I ex give them a little bit of a, you know, let them know that I've gone through this because for so many of people who are going through this, the one thing they just want is for someone to acknowledge that this is happening to them, that this is not just in their head, that this is real, that this happens to people, um, and that, you know, just being able to hear that somebody else understands what you're going through is like already such a comfort. And I know when I have found people that get it, I'm like, oh my God, like that, yeah. I, we can just have a whole conversation without <laughs> talking right now. You know, we right. just look at each other and we get it, what's happening. Um, so, you know, I, I tell some patients my story, especially if they're just really feeling hopeless. Mm -hmm. And some, you know, I don't get into it very much, just depending on the patient and who, how we're all getting, you know, how, how it's going. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think it also gives people permission to talk about their pain with me without, me, without them feeling like they're going to be judged in a certain way because they know I get it. So, you know, uh, the same thing with like, you, when you have chronic pain, Eventually, you stop talking about it with somebody, right? And what are you going to do every time your mom calls you? Be like, I'm in pain again today. Right. Oh, and you know what? Right now again. Like, right. what about now? Still pain. You know, it's kind of a boring conversation after a while, and there's nothing that the other person can say anymore. But when someone comes in and they haven't been able to tell someone how much pain they're in and where the pain is and explain their pain and, and describe it and talk about it and talk about how their pain is changing the way they are feeling about themselves and the way that they're reacting to pain because that's such a huge part of recovery is like learning about how pain has really changed the way your brain is interpreting and perceiving pain right it gives you a lot of permission to just sit down and talk to me and tell me your whole story and I mm -hmm. always start every session with tell me your story tell right. me what happened to you because just being able to say it and talk about it without someone being like, well, did you try this? Yeah. Have you tried like a, I like a CBD oil? No, yeah. like, no, this is not what we're talking about right now. Like I right. need some real, I, you know what I mean? Like you, you just, you need something, you need someone to really acknowledge it for you and to yeah. understand the extent of it. And I think that having that experience has helped me um, be able to hear people in a different way. Mm -hmm. Totally. And, and patients probably feel so much more reassurance knowing that you've been through this, you've been treated for it, you've recovered from it, and that now you're there to help them recover from it. Right, and I think also, you know, I haven't recovered 100%, and mm -hmm. in some ways that can be disconcerting, but in some ways it can be really realistic. Like, can I do everything I wanna do on a daily basis? Yes. Do I have pain here and there, and you know, sometimes most 
you know, just underlying pain? Am I more aware of when I don't have pain than when I do have pain? Absolutely. I'm right. more aware of like, ooh, I don't have pain right now. I'm aware of that feeling mm -hmm. more than I'm aware of the constant pain that I might have with this right. underlying pain. But there's things that I can't do. I can't go and play soccer. I can't go and play tennis like I used to. But knowing that I can still live my life very well despite having these high-level limitations can also be reassuring to people to know, mm -hmm. like, look, I may not be ever 100%, right? Hopefully I will be, and that's what we're striving for, you know, but it may not happen. But can you still live a great life despite that? Absolutely. Totally. Yeah, I think that's really important. And are there any other ways that you help your clients bring their bodies back into balance or any other pieces of advice that you have to share or that you know you give your patients when when they come in to see you i think it's very important to give patients a sense of empowerment when they're dealing with this i think that a lot of their control over their body has been taken away and at a time when you've given birth and your body's been hijacked during pregnancy and now all you're doing is looking after a baby so giving back some empowerment of your to look after yourself and to care for yourself and to feel really confident looking after your children because when you are in pain or when you're feeling weak or unstable in your body then when you're alone with your children looking after them it's very scary to be responsible for other people when all you want to do is lie down and curl up with a hot water bottle yeah um and so i try and help them know that part of their goal is to feel empowered and capable and capable of taking their kids by themselves to a museum and not feeling terrified at the thought of being alone with your children when you're in pain because that's a lot of my patients experience that like that feeling of being alone with your children when they're crying and screaming and you need to stand there and rock them for 30 minutes or hold them for 30 minutes and you're in such pain, how are you going to do that? Or how are you going to bring that stroller up the stairs to get to wherever you're going? You know, there's, there's so many things that you physically need to be able to do to feel competent as a parent. Um, and so part of that is just to reframe their goals to feeling that level of competence again. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just explaining to themselves, explaining to them again that this is real, that they that this is happening, this is not something they have to question their own mental sanity. Like, is this a real pain? Am I just exacerbating this pain in my head? Is it not really as bad as I think it is? Look at all these other people doing all these things that I used to be able to do. How can they do that if they're having this pain? You know, explaining to them that this is something that they really do have. And again, listening to their stories, that they have a place to really say what they want to say. I, you know, like other public for physical therapists, I use things like meditation and talk to them about how pain changes your brain and those type of things. But I think that those are all really important to help bring yourself back into, like you said, balance after this very trying experience. I think that that's really important. And whenever I talk to someone, well, not whenever, but multiple times, um, I can think of multiple times where I've spoken to women and even if they've been to not necessarily a pelvic floor PT, but even just like the first doctor that acknowledges their pain. It's like a weight lifted off their shoulders. Mm -hmm. They just feel better after that yep. appointment because they're like, this is the first time that someone's actually listened to me, heard right. my story, acknowledged that what I'm feeling is real. And often women who have these, these problems, as you know, have been like just shut down by so many people that Absolutely. it's so 
it's so you know it makes them feel so much lighter mm-hmm. and better to have someone who's there to listen yep. to them i think one of my experiences when i went i went for a surgical consultation there's a few surgeons in manhattan that will fixate your pelvis for you if this happens to you and that's like a last resort thing but it was something that after many years of dealing with this that i wanted to see you know what it looks like and if i'm a candidate and if that's something mm-hmm. in the future that i might want to do or a, whenever and and they put like a plate in front and then they put two screws in the back so the plate over your pubic symphysis and two screws in your si joint it's a very big surgery and i went to go see that surgeon and he knew what i was talking about he had only seen a few patients with this and mm-hmm. done the surgery a few times but he still understood enough right and and he was one of the first people that did an x-ray mm-hmm. on my pelvis no one had really imaged me yeah and i saw my x-ray and it looked like a hamster had come and chewed on my pubic bones like just like the whole thing looked degraded and there were these little like spurs of bone coming out of it and it looked horrendous and you would think that that would make me feel worse that seeing that image might be like oh my god look at my look how terrible that looks that made me feel so much better because i was like oh my god this is real yeah this is 100 percent real none of this is in my head like i can see it physically in right. front of me and you know when i told people that and i said look look I now I know it's real. They were like, but you always knew it was real. I'm like, no, I didn't. Yeah. Like deep down, I wasn't totally sure. Right. You know, like there were days when I was like, well, I, I do feel this pain, but maybe, you know, my mental status right now is not helping that. Or maybe it's because I did something wrong yesterday and I slept the wrong way or mm-hmm. I worked out too hard or whatever. And it's like a big blame game of what did I do that made myself so much worse. But just seeing my bones like that, I was like, ah. Oh, and sometimes it's still when I question myself and I'm like, oh, maybe if I had just done this or maybe I shouldn't do that. I'm like, Renee, it's you so easy saw to your have x-ray. You can, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'm like, look at your x-ray, Renee. You that's crazy? That's so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you saw that's, that. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, not funny, but yeah. It, yeah. Seeing, seeing like that evidence. is real. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's evidence. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes imaging can be helpful for those things. Just sometimes, you know, even just to know what's not in your head, that can be huge. Do you want to talk a little bit about what it was like working as a physical therapist at New York Presbyterian Hospital and starting the pelvic floor PT program there? Sure. So, you know, working in New York Presbyterian Hospital was a great experience. I got a ton of experience there and saw patients of all walks of life with a million different types of medical diagnoses and complicated diagnoses and complicated patients and people with so many different um, hardships in their life because it's in an area that is, you know, not a a wealthy area of Manhattan and people on Medicaid and having so many different limitations put on themselves from just their social um, status, right? Um, So it's very different than some places in like Midtown Manhattan where you see a very different clientele Mm -hmm. or in Westchester, you see a very different clientele. Um, So in that way, it was extremely interesting. Um, I got a lot of experience there, like I said, lots of patients, um, and you know, a few therapists before me had tried to start a pelvic floor physical therapy program um, in the years before me, and they had been shut down, um, partly because there's not a lot of, sp- you know, it's a Manhattan hospital, there's no space in anything in Manhattan, and there's not a lot of space in Manhattan hospitals either, so where are we going to put this program? You know, do we have enough therapists to cover all the other patients in the hospital? How can we take therapists away from that to do this? You know, so there was a lot of like logistical things to kind of figure out. Um, but we were lucky. I was at the Allen Hospital, which is a satellite of New York Presbyterian Hospital, all the way up in 
right in, like Inwood in Manhattan. And it was, um, happened to be like on the same floor as the urology offices. And the urologists, they were very interested in getting a pelvic floor program started and having someone for their patients. So they immediately, once we told them, we're going to, you know, and basically under the radar, I kind of started being like, I'm just going to take these courses and I'm going to see what happens. And I'm going to just start putting it out there that we're seeing mm -hmm. these patients. And so we kind of quietly told a couple different doctors, like, we're going to start doing this. And they just sent over a huge volume of patients and people that needed these services. And it's such a volume that there was no more denying that this had to happen. Right. Like we had to provide something for these patients. And, um, and we were able to get some of the urologists on board to provide some funding to be able to, um, to, be able to um, support some of the staff members um, in order to treat these patients. And you know, but there are limitations in working in the hospital. There's limitations in terms of how much your insurance company is going to give you. Maybe you have a major problem and you get five visits, you know, and that's really stressful for the mm -hmm. patients as well. And there's limitations in like you have to see X number of patients a day, and you have to, um, you know, see them in these time slots. And there's, you know, it's difficult for um, getting what you need done. You don't have a lot of flexibility. Um, so you know, there are things about the hospital that I didn't like. Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of being able to treat this population there and things that are different now in Westchester. Um, but I think that the experience I gained there and the uh, wide breadth of types of patients I saw has been so helpful for my own development as a pelvic floor physical therapist. And what's something that I just, you know, as you were talking about this and, and um, sharing how urologists were so eager to send you so many patients, it's not that doctors aren't helpful. They're so helpful in what, in what they know how to do, but it's like they can't do everything. Mm -hmm. So they see these women, and then they're like, I've done all that I can do, and they're not right. getting better. So they needed this team of people, 100%. which is why it's so amazing that you were able to really implement this. Yeah. No, it, I mean, it was, you know, I always, I come from a family of doctors. My brother's mm -hmm. a doctor, my mother's a doctor. So, and I know, and I saw the training that they went through. My mother had to redo her residency in America when we immigrated here from South Africa. So like, I know how much they went through right. to get the degrees and the training they got. And I respect it a hundred percent, but they're not God, yeah. right? And they're not supposed to be. They know what they know and they know it well. And I respect that. Uh, you know, a gynecologist does an amazing job bringing babies into the world and caring for women at a time. But they're not orthopedic doctors. So if you have a hip problem, they're not going to be right. who's going to help you, right? And um, and the same with all of these people. The urologist is looking at your organs. They're looking at your bladder and your, your urethra and all that stuff. But they're not musculoskeletal experts. So you need to go to a musculoskeletal expert for a musculoskeletal problem. Totally. You know? Thank you so much for being here and sharing your story and your experience and for doing all of the work that you do in this field. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. being here. Yeah. And if anyone wants to contact you, where can they do so? So um, I am in Irvington, like mm -hmm. you said, in Westchester. I have a, like I have a website, RSP. Mm -hmm. What is it? RSPelvicPT.com. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm on Facebook, Limitedly. I'm supposed to be getting more on social media, but I'm very much um, terrified of that. So, <laughs> so I may have more of a presence later, but it's it's not so built up yet. <laughs> and email? Um, rsukenick at gmail.com. Perfect. So this was, I learned so much, and I know that a lot of women 
listening have also experienced different prenatal postpartum issues so I think that this is really going to kind of show them how pelvic floor PT is really helpful for anyone who is kind of embarking on the pregnancy journey and thank you again thank you so much yeah appreciate it This podcast is for education purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other healthcare professional services, including the giving of medical advice. During the episodes, no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should seek the assistance of their healthcare provider for any concerns or questions they have.